Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining today, he's a performance coach, former collegiate athlete, founder of Forever Athletes, and podcast host of the Forever Athlete Radio. It's Corey Camp. How are you doing today, Corey? Alex, man, I love that intro. I, I might need to just like carry you around everywhere I go <laughs> and, and steal that. Uh, I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me. Like I said, um, before we recorded, I'm excited to jam with you and uh, just tell my story and hopefully it helps and resonates with someone here. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Yeah. Um, so easy. The way I would introduce myself, I would say up until 22 years old was I'm Corey Camp, the swimmer. Uh, so I grew up in Olney, Maryland, Silver Spring, Maryland, just outside of D.C., got involved with swimming at a fairly early age, um, a non-traditional way. Uh, my dad was a college swimmer, and contrary to what people might think, that would mean I just was thrown into the water, but my mom was hesitant. Had She's like, I don't want you to feel pressure and go down that route. So she, I wasn't enrolled with swim lessons until I had a actual near drowning experience at four. And that was kind of the moment that my mom was like, well, at least he could learn how to swim at the very least, you know, and then and there's no pressure if he gets into it year round. But very quickly, I, I found my love for water. I had no lasting fear for it. I just felt the most at peace in home uh, when I was in the pool. So I gravitated towards that, played baseball a handful of times, was an avid reader, loved Harry Potter, all of those fun things growing up. But for the most part, it was Pokemon cards, Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, and swimming was like life at that point of time. Oh, Pokemon's still my thing. And I, I can I can fully admit that. I mean, that was my childhood. And it's just like, that's what I'm telling my kids about when I get older and have them. It would be so cool to see if they're still making new Pokemon and like where things are when like we're at that stage in our life and we start to have kids. And uh, that would be really cool to share that like connection, you know, with you being close to the coast or on the East coast side, did you Mm kind of fall in love with the water like ocean wise, or was it more focused on the pool part that you kind of got involved with swimming and stuff? Yeah, I love great question. I love both, but uh, the nearest beach for me was three hours away, which I guess is closer than people in the middle of the country. Yeah. But um, it wasn't like a, hey, we're going to go to the beach today. It was a planned trip oftentimes. So I fell in love with the traditional swimming pool, so to speak. The area that I grew up in in Montgomery County is like a hot spot for summer league swimming. It's been an incredible breeding ground for many of Olympians and collegiate athletes alike. And I want to say within that County, there's 60 to 70 something pools that exist community summer pools. So they're everywhere. um, And it just breeds this really cool interest in a sport that doesn't necessarily always take off in other areas of the country. Did you feel that sports was something that helped you gain skills that you didn't have, or was it just something that you did for fun and there wasn't really a mindset to be competitive in a way? Um, I would say it definitely was the first bit there. Like it was definitely something that for me, what I noticed, I never really, I had a hard time connecting with friends at school from like middle school, especially in high school, all my friends and people that I really felt like I belonged with were that mutual connection in the pool. So I really tied a lot of my self-worth and my identity into that part of me Mm -hmm. because I felt the most like me when I was there. I didn't have to worry about how I was showing up, what I was saying. Like there was no pressure about like saying the wrong thing to the girl you liked at high school. It was just, you swam, you like, you poured your heart and soul into this repeat practice time and time again. And you saw results Uh, to me. That was the the best feeling in the world. Um, So yeah, I mean, that was kind of the downside was then I became one dimensional in my identity and how I valued myself. But 
I fell in love with that whole process of swimming is such an interesting sport. You go really nine months out of the year, just honing in all of these little details and practice just to taper, which is like finally allowing your body and mind enough rest to have this super response to all the training that you just put your body through in a like four day window. And in that four day window, you try to go a lifetime best time. And then if you do it, awesome. You go back to practice on Monday and start training again. If you don't do it, awesome. You go back to practice and start training on Monday again. Um, so it became, I became addicted to just shaving off as little time as possible. Was the physical mindset, the mental mindset rough on you as you're growing up with swimming? Like some sports or some athletes, they go full on with diet, training, nutrition, all that stuff. Did you go through something similar or were you more swimming was like kind of relaxed in a way, not like what it is Olympic level and stuff like that? Um, I was pretty dialed in and like all in. I mean, for me, um, morning practices started in sixth grade. So that was like the first time I ever woke up at 4am and went to practice and then came to school. And all my friends were like, why do you look so tired? Did you sleep last night? And I was like, well, yeah, but I was up at 345 because my dad wanted to swim his laps before practice. Uh, (laughs) So it was definitely all in. I mean, the diet, everything was looked at through the lens of what will this do to me as a swimmer? Mm-hmm. Will I stay up and do extra homework or will I go to bed and get a good night's sleep so I can perform better at practice? And fortunately in high school, you know, the academics come pretty easily. Uh, at least they did to me at that point in time. So I didn't really have to stay up super late studying. I could kind of just coast in that regard. Uh, and yeah, the diet was definitely dialed in. We would go, through periods as a team or as a, a group of guys we'd be like all right no chipotle for three <laughs> months or like no no su- like sweets are out of the question until after the meet um which it's funny because from the outside world it's like glorified right this all or nothing mentality mm-hmm. and what a lot of what i've realized in kind of becoming a recovering athlete after the fact and trying to establish myself beyond this physical sense of who I am and my worth in that it's like the all or nothing mentality is not necessarily the healthiest way to look at everything in some ways, but you could argue you need it to get to a certain level of performance. So there's this kind of catch 22 of sorts there. I think that's definitely true. I mean, one of the sports like UFC mixed martial arts is a way like those people put their bodies through so much, but they're training so hard to get into this peak shape because they're only in that ring or octagon for a short minute at a time. And if they're tired after 30 seconds, did they really put in the work for that? And I think swimming is the same way. You look at a 50 meter um, swim, you got to go full force. But when you're looking at like the five, I'm thinking track and field mile 8,000 meter swim or something. It's like, you have to be able to last that whole entire time. If you even want to make it into the top podium spots. So it's almost like it's a risk reward in a way you go through the changes and the hardship and all that. But what's that outcome going to be if you didn't go through those kind of things? Yeah. And I was about to say, I've alluded to like the, the dark side of it, the, the negatives, but I wouldn't change the world for it. Like I wouldn't, if I were to go back, I would do it all over again, the same way that I did it um, because it got me to where I am today. So, I mean, it came with a lot of, definitely came with a lot of challenges. You know, the first time that I'll take you back to my, so my junior year at the end of that, of high school, Mm -hmm. it was starting, that was when college coaches are supposed to start reaching out to you and they're allowed to for the first time. So I remember going to bed uh, March or May 31st and June 1st is the day, the day that they can start reaching out. I'm I'm so excited. I'm basically a kid on Christmas, this (laughs) dream of mine of getting a division one scholarship is about to come true. And the next day I could feel it. And then the next day came and I remember going to practice, going through my day. And I'm like, that's so weird. Like, is my phone broken? It's 
it's not getting any calls. It's not getting any texts. I kept checking my email and nothing's worse. I feel like than constantly refreshing and just yep. sitting there on your phone, waiting for something that's never going to actually come through. Um, I did get one call that day and it was a division three school and they were like, we would love to have you. I was like, great. You're not D1. Like that's, <laughs> that's not the dream. Sorry. And went back to the drawing board and had a good summer season that year and a good meet in that August. So then that was interest was coming in, had a couple different D1 schools reaching out. And as I'm starting to go to recruiting trips to some of these schools, scholarship offers are being discussed. I, one Saturday morning and then towards the end of practice, I end up collapsing on the pool deck. I fall face first and end up in the emergency room. And I was like, how did this happen? Like, how did we get here? I'm 17 years old at the time, supposed to be in the best shape of my life. And I'm sitting in the ER and they're running all these tests. They can't find anything wrong with me. The doctors just say, it seemed like a freak accident. You might've had low blood sugar or something. Just monitor what you're eating and like, you'll be fine moving forward. And I wish that was the case. I wish it was just a freak accident, but it came this constant thing that I was dealing with for the next two years of my life. And that was a really challenging time for me because on one hand, I had my dream coming true that I'd been working for this whole time. And then on the other hand, the body that was getting me there is Mm -hmm. now failing me. And we don't know why Uh, we were able to really pinpoint it to be a cardiac issue. We couldn't find out what exactly the cardio issue was with my heart. But I mean, I would go to high school with for 30 days or two months even with like a permanent EKG monitor on. So think of like a Blackberry pager attached to your, your belt buckle and then wires. That's such a gnarly experience as a, a high school senior. I feel like you're already kind of questioning your confidence and walking down the halls and now to feel like you literally have wires hanging off your body. Like it just felt so alienating from the people around me. And, you know, I, it wasn't until I came to a recruiting trip at university of Delaware, that was the only school that I fully disclosed, like the unknown uncertainty that I was going through on the medical condition side of things. And what the coach told me when I disclosed that to him, he just looked at me and said, doesn't like, we're here for you with what you're going through. It doesn't matter that you have these unknowns. We still want you to swim for us and we'll go through it together. I was like, man, that's like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. It was like this wave of relief. And even though the, the heart issue was still there for another year and a half, I was at least able to like, still realize that dream and move forward and not be paralyzed by this stress and anxiety that came with, am I going to pass out today at practice? Were you ever worried if Delaware didn't say Mm. those kind of like helpful, reassuring messages that you might had to think about not swimming anymore or going in a different direction? Yeah. Have that backup plan when you were going to college. Um, so the first cardiologist I ever saw, he was a doctor at George Washington, um, in DC. And he, that was his response to me. He was like, just take these medications and stop, like stop swimming and like move on with your life. I was like, Whoa, dude, you don't understand me. Like, this is my life. I can't move on from this. Um, so I guess he planted the seed, uh, but it was, there was like no doubt in my mind. And that was like full circle moment. My mom was with me on that visit and she even looked at the doctor and goes, that's not an option. I was like, I thought you didn't want me to get into the sport in the first place. She's like, yeah, but I see what she, like how much it means to you. Like, there's no way I'm letting my kid give up on this dream. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it was a little bit there, but I was thankful to have a support system around me and we explored some other options. Was there a swimmer that you kind of idolize or someone that motivated you ha- get you to the be passionate about something like, yeah. or did you have like a style in honor of an athlete in a way? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, the, the classic swimmer response would be Michael Phelps, yeah. but 
I mean, he's definitely someone I admired and looked up to. I actually admired more Ryan Lochte's style as a, as a youth, like going through age group swimming, just he would, this is like early YouTube days. He would release these really hardcore gnarly uh, training videos of him, like throwing around empty kegs and medicine (laughs) balls. And I don't know, being like 12 years old watching that. I was like, Whoa. I'm fired. I want to be like that dude. Like he doesn't care. He's throwing things around. He's lifting heavy. He's fast. Like, I want to, I want to be me. I want that to be me. Ironically, I turned into a, a really scrawny, skinny distance swimmer at, <laughs> throughout my career. So I didn't get the chance to throw around kegs and all of that, but uh, he just had a certain grit about him that he wouldn't, he was resilient. He wouldn't go away. He wasn't necessarily like in the spotlight all of the time uh, because of Phelps, but he was definitely someone I looked up to. I think that's so true. Like we, when you think of us swimmers, the big main pitcher is Michael Phelps, but you see all these other swimmers that kind of are behind him and that have made a big impact, but they don't get that highlight. But I think now, especially with the internet, social media, YouTube, things like that, they're getting that opportunity to kind of showcase what they're able to do. Um, I know I had a a swimmer who was going in the Olympic trials on the show and he kind of said similar things. Michael Phelps was that big pitcher, but there's these other guys that I kind of looked up to that didn't get that chance. And so it's just hearing you say Ryan Lochte, besides the stuff that happened years ago, but he has played a huge part in what um, U.S. swimming is. Kind of like yeah. how Caleb Dressel is now that new next generation person and so many other, I can't even think of the names of people. How was your journey at college with swimming or what were you pursuing at that time? Yeah, um, it was another interesting journey. Um, when I was there, so I, I studied exercise science as an undergrad, uh, ended up deciding on concentrations in both biomechanics and exercise physiology, and also picked up a few minors along the way, both in strength and conditioning, coaching science. It might sound like, oh my God, he had it all figured out. He knew exactly <laughs> the career path that he was going to go to. And that's what I thought too, until I hit graduation. But uh, no, it was, it was a good, it was almost like a tale of two stories. The first two years that I was in school, even freshman year, as I was dealing with this heart condition, um, I remember I never really told the team doctor about what I was going through, even though like you should disclose that sort of thing to him. But I was like, what does the team doctor know? Like I'm seeing specialists and the specialists are telling me, like, I'm good to go. I'm cleared. Um, so as long as they're in the loop, like, Reisman doesn't need to know. I'll be, I'll be okay. Big mistake. Because um, final about a month out of conference meet, which I alluded to earlier, how you train nine months for, mm-hmm. for one event, one meet. That's that meet. Uh, I ended up having one of those heart, we would call them heart episodes at that point in time. I would lose feeling in my hands, lose sight in my I couldn't see anything. Um, and it, my heart rate would start to race like uncontrollably race. You could see my heart literally beating outside of my chest and that would just, it would be like, okay, it's happening. I could start to feel the increase in my heart rate, get to the end of the pool, hop out and just kind of like lay on my back on the pool deck as if I was dead, uh, until my body reset itself. And it happened one time about a month before that meet. And sure enough, it got back to the team doctor and he was like, you've been dealing with this whole time. If this happens one more time, like you can't, can't swim in conferences. It's like, dude, well, I've been training my tail off for this. Like, this is it. And, and sure enough happened the next day. And I just look at my coach and he goes, is it happening right now? And like, I can barely see, like I'm talking, I get such tunnel vision before completely blacking out. And I just nod my head. No, (laughs) he goes, are you sure? And I go, yep, I'm okay. Like, just give me a minute. I just need to like catch my breath. And it's quite obvious when I was going through these things, 
fortunately he was willing to look the other way. I had a really standout freshman year, broke a couple school records, ended up setting, uh, becoming Delaware's ever first rookie swimmer of the year for the conference. I was like, wow, that almost didn't happen because of this got surgery in the off season. Everything sorted itself out from there. That was a journey coming back from that recovery. And sophomore year was another like crazy improvement from even that performance. It looked like things were on the up and up. And it was like, oh, cool. Like forget trials. Like maybe there's something here with the sport. And then junior and, and senior year just plummeted. I actually finished my career, my last swim ever and my collegiate career was slower than I was my junior year of high school. Um, wow. And that was just like this crushing wave of defeat of everyone wants to go out on top. And I was definitely one of those people. And here I was touching the wall for the last time. I'm like, no one's going to remember me because an athlete's mind only is like, people are only going to remember me for that last performance, that last thing that I've done lately. No one cares about the glory days of what I've done in the past. It's what, do, what am I doing right now? Um, so that was really crushing mentally. And then on top of that, like I said, the career aspirations, it was physical therapy was the, the career track. Starting in my senior year of high school, I was a physical therapy aide at a clinic back home. And I didn't think of any, like, I was like, there's no plan B. This is going to work out. Two weeks after my last race, just rejection letter after rejection letter from every single uh, grad school that I applied to. And that really sent me in this existential crisis of like, who am I? What am I going to do? Like the path was always laid out for me. Even as an athlete, it was like, okay, you do age group, you do summer league swimming, then you progress to age group swimming. You move up those levels. You make qualify for higher meets. You get a scholarship, you go to school and I was like, I don't know the next step. Like there, it was no longer clear to me what I could do. And it wasn't a clear correlation of how do I work harder? Like, how do I physically network harder? How do I physically apply for jobs harder? And it, just, it wasn't clicking for me. So long story short, that was summation of four years there. <laughs> You talked about your major and minors were kind of all in the same category in a way. Yeah. Looking back at your college, would you have done a different minor in a different kind of category? Because I think a lot of people can say, oh, you should get a business because you never know yeah. what's going to happen. But do you feel that you made that right decision and what you picked? Because at the time, that was your passion. That's what you wanted to do. And nothing was going to stop you. Yeah, I, it was 100% the right decision to me, for me, because that was what I was curious about. Mm-hmm. Like I was one of those weird exceptions. Actually, I would, I would argue probably more people fall into this. I got better grades the harder the classes got because they got more concentrated into areas that I was actually interested in. Like, forget general chemistry and biology. <laughs> I, I couldn't stay awake in those classes. So I would get like C's and now you now you know why I didn't get into PT school, but throw me in like a motor control class and I'm learning how the brain is actually processing different types of learning patterns. And if we are talking about a serial skill versus just a continuous skill or just a finite skill, something as simple as breaking down, how do we swing a bat? How do we learn how to actually swim more effectively? Is that a continuous skill? Like that stuff fascinated me i could stay up all day and even to this day like i subscribe to some academic journals and i'm constantly in different courses learning and it's because i'm curious about it and i what i think my best piece of advice to people that has really worked out for me is don't get so caught up on finding something you're passionate about or getting stuck in like having a purpose i need it i know my purpose in this world Great. Cool. How do you sustain a purpose? How do you sustain passion even? Because eventually those will burn out. It's through curiosity. Curiosity is this beautiful thing that allows you to try new things. And that's what I've really looked back at my journey from when I ended my swimming career to today. I've just stayed really, really curious. 
and I haven't been been afraid to switch jobs or to try something, even if like from the outside, it looks like a a step way back. Mm -hmm. There's a point in time where I was like, I just want to see how I am as a coach, as a swim coach. So I quit the sales job that I ended up getting. I just became a swim coach and I started lifeguarding on top of that. I was like, okay, what, what are you doing, Corey? You're 23 and you're lifeguarding. Like there's, we got to do something here. Uh, But I stayed curious and now I'm like, wow, I'm so grateful for each step of that journey because I can see what I pulled from that sales role, what I got from being a recruiter for a number of months, what I got from being a swim coach, what I got from being a lifeguard, what I got from physical fitness. And all of this kind of is this formula or recipe that makes up me now. And I, I wouldn't be able to do it any other way other than just staying curious. It's how we continue to grow. I love how you mentioned the formula of who you are. And I can relate to that. Like my main mission with college was a sports management major. Mm. And right now I'm not in sports management, but I want to get there eventually. But I was going into all these paths of curiosity of event planning, marketing, uh, philanthropies, event supervising, things like that. And when I was getting out to the job world, even the small amount of experience I had in like event plan, they're like, wow, you can event plan. And I'm like, yeah, I know how to do this. I have a few years, but even with classes, I hated business law, but sports law was so much more entertaining and amazing to hear because it was sports. It was something that I was going for and things like that. But you talked about being a lifeguard at 23, but yeah. there's shows out there right now with lifeguards who've been doing it for 20 years in their forties. Everyone probably listening probably can figure out what show I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but it's, and that show is just amazing because those people found something that they love doing. And you went to lifeguarding and swim coaching because you fell in love with swimming and being at the water and you were like that's where you felt comfortable and it gave you skills and kind of experience that you could take elsewhere in the future of your career yeah oh it was a hundred percent that it was I mean what drew me originally the curiosity to become a swim coach I took a second to really look at what swimming had did to me or for me and that point in my life I was like wow, this is so freaking cool. It's given me some of my best friends. It's taken me some of the coolest places around the world. I've met awesome people through this. I want to inspire a four-year-old, a Mm five-year-old to fall in love with the sport like I fell in love with it and just make it freaking fun for them. Like Take the pressure out. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to win gold, a gold medal. If you want to, awesome. I'll help you get there too. But if you want to just this develop this curiosity to this sport i want to help that that flame you know build and it's like the curiosity is the kindling to that little passion fire that everyone's trying to build if you don't if you lose the curiosity your passion's going to burn out and that was really what i was trying to do as a swim coach and then i lost my passion for it after a few after a few years it was like okay cool six years of that now what like mm-hmm. I want to make a an impact on a different scale. Like how do I do that? And fitness became that vehicle that I then was able to drive for a number of years. And then even beyond that, like the past year plus has really been dedicated to understanding how does the physiological impact our psychological and are they one and the same? And if so, why aren't we training the psychological as much as we are the physiological? And how can we start training our bodies to support our minds better rather than the other way around? You know what I mean? Just going to therapy versus going in therapy in conjunction with physical training. And it doesn't have to be lifting weights or running or whatever that looks like for people. I'm talking breath work, mobility work, like just tapping into your nervous system. That's been the stuff that I've been really nerding out on lately, which is my favorite word. (laughs) (laughs) Looking at you now and from your experience with your heart and stuff, have you seen an improvement? Like if you're doing a competition or being athletic in a way that you're not seeing like 
the problems before, but it's kind of improved over time? Or do you still be careful and still monitor those kind of things? Yeah. So I'll, I'll fill it for full context. Like what I ended up having, the heart has this electrical system to it. It starts off with the SA node, goes down to your AV node, then goes bundle hiss back up to your SA node. And that's the circuit that normally should be functioning, right? Mm-hmm. I had what was known as AV node re-entry. So I had quite literally three to four cells. We're talking like the tiniest of things, cells on my AV node that were would send a non-universal signal that would short circuit back up to the SA node instead of completing that normal circuit. So what that would be doing, it would basically be jump-starting my heart when it wouldn't need to be jump-started. And the one time that they measured it, they measured it at 350 beats per minute. And it was like, oh, okay, that explains blood pressure drops because there's no way your blood can keep up with that kind of pace. And that's why I lost feeling. That's why I lost vision. There's no blood to provide the oxygen (laughs) to those areas of my body. So I got surgery. They literally, they went in through a catheter, uh, through my intravenously, through my groin, all the way up. And they treated it with ablation. So they heated these cells off. And once that scar tissue healed a few months later, I got full clearance of, hey, just be mindful, come in for checkups. And about, I guess, three years ago now, um, I got fully cleared by the cardiologist that did the procedure. He was like, just, you know, be mindful, like, don't do anything too stupid. But if you ever need anything, come on back, but you don't have to come in for like an annual checkup anymore with me. Like you're cleared to go. And one of the coolest full circle stories for me was March, obviously 2020 things shut down. I was a big lifter at that time. I had goals of squatting 400 plus pounds. And I was like, awesome. This is gonna be great. And obviously all the gyms shut down. It's like, yep. What the heck am I going to do now? So I got a friend of mine hosted a virtual 5k towards the end of that March. I was like, all right, whatever, I'll get into running. So ran that and then started pushing the limits on how far could I run every weekend for the next eight weeks. And then I signed up for a marathon. Uh, By signed up, I mean, one Saturday morning, I created a marathon and contacted a nonprofit and was like, hey, I want to raise money for you. I'm going to run by myself for a full distance and uh, wanted to go for a good cause. But as I was training for that, every single training run that I did, I made it very intentional the route that I would run by that GW cardiologist office that originally told me no, all those years later. And I'm all for like, I don't, I don't have a grudge against the guy, but it was one like F you to, <laughs> to him of like, yo, look at what I'm doing. And it was cool to see like my pacing, increased every time I passed that block. I was like, heck yeah, I got fired up for it. So I don't have to be super, super careful. I am fully like healed and and all that there. And it's, it's been a blessing to be able to, as I like to say it, just like go out full send into some of these workouts within reason, you know, I'm not doing anything too, too crazy. Although to most people would hear the solo full marathon and be like, that's that's crazy you lost us <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i'll bike it in my house but i ain't gonna actually go out there and do it <laughs> perfect it's all about the language you use you yes <laughs> see i know see when the gym shut i'm like well i guess i'm not working out but that kind of changed my mind because i'm like okay i can do something and i have been on a journey and yeah. it's been like the best experience for me because I think my friends, family see a change, not just physically, but like mentally, it's in a better state. And it's just amazing to hear that everything's been going well. And do you have like a next challenge in your running journey? Like you did a marathon. Is there, I don't know if there's anything more yeah. marathon or. There's the world of ultras, which like maybe I'll get into eventually. Um <laughs> I signed up for a full like official marathon in February of next year. So currently training for that, um, this really gnarly race called Utilo has been kind of called my name. So it's a Swedish original comes from over there. They have ones all over the world, but it's swim run and you it's weird. You run 
and swim in these shoes and you're allowed paddles and a pool buoy on the swim because you have shoes and otherwise your feet are pretty much sinking. And it ends up being like a half marathon of running and about four to five miles of open water swimming. And you'll do it's trail running. So you'll, you'll trail run a portion, you'll hop in the ocean, swim a little bit, come back, trail run again. Um, I'm like, yeah, those are the things that excite me. <laughs> so that might be the thing that I, I go into. Ironman has always been of interest as well. Um, I feel like I'm giving the typical swimmer answers of like every <laughs> swimmer gets into triathlons because that's just the thing. Uh, but that's, I want to check that box at some point. It goes back to something that you had a passion for it, which is, sweet. Yeah. so if you're able to include it, you're going to do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. What I've, what I've had to realize from just like a mental health standpoint for me with swimming, like I personally, it's not great for me to swim four or five times a week anymore. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't, it, there's no returns on that. If anything, it's, it's harmful for my mental health because I start to go into, well, Hey, remember eight years ago when you were doing this and you were 20 seconds faster, like you should just give this thing up. So I'm like, I'll do it every once in a blue moon. Um, I have enough of a baseline that I can get by on that in these longer different races. So I'm grateful for it, but yeah, it's mixing that curiosity with former passions again is really uh, it's the recipe for just life overall, man. So talk about the creation of forever athlete. How did you get inspired to create it? And what's been the big message that you're bringing with creating it? Yeah. Um, great question. So really the why behind it is I, I've always, I've been searching for a sense of belonging since swimming ended for me. And personally, when I touched that wall for the last time and I automatically then became a swimmer or a former athlete and just labeled as that something just didn't sit right with me there. I was like, are you meaning to tell me at 22, my best years are behind me in this, in the, at least the metrics that I was using to measure how like mm-hmm. the quality of years would be. So I created forever athlete. Cause I was like, I want to have a label. I want to have an identity that I can turn to and really view myself as the student of life and just continue to grow. And what better way to grow and learn than do it with cool people, dope people around you. So it's a social learning platform where it's really geared towards, we have a a varsity membership really is the entry level into that. And that's weekly social hours where you're just meeting people. I call them raise your vibration social hours. We'll share gratitude. We'll speak with whatever's on our, our mind. If there's been something that's been bugging you, there's that opportunity container to share it with the, with the community. And then we'll do a dance party to finish just like good vibes. I don't care if you're like the worst dancer in the world. I probably have that title. So we're going to throw on cringeworthy music and just like get down on zoom and everyone leaves just with a smile on their face. They're feeling a little bit lighter. Um, that's just one of the many things we're doing. So my main goal is centered in helping former other former athletes find that flow state that they felt in athletics again, um, just like I've done in my own life. Um, so more or less, that's why that's how we got here. And that's what it is. <laughs> when someone reaches out to you and they're interested in becoming a member or in the program, are they yeah. shocked after like the first week that they're in it, that there are other athletes or former athletes that are going through something similar and that they can all relate to each other? Yeah, I actually had this on a, on a call um, a few weeks ago. It was funny. It was a smaller group and I had one girl that it, the conversation just lent itself into more life coaching side of things, uh, which I do with people. And we were really diving into the mindset behind why she was feeling that way. And after about 30 minutes, she apologized to the other girl on the call. She's like, I feel like I've been like dominating this call. And I loved the other person's response. She goes, no, everything you shared, 
I feel that a hundred percent. I kept thinking to myself, like, holy crap, is she in my head? Like she's sharing my experience as well. And I think that's, there's such power in group settings because it helps you process things that you probably didn't even know you were needing to process. Oftentimes you'll have these breakthroughs in these aha moments, just sitting here, listening to a podcast with two random dudes. Um, you know, you never know what will strike that chord with you and unlock something. So yeah, there is a little bit of a shock of like, holy crap, I'm not alone. But I think that's the the most powerful thing when people do join. It's like for the longest time, they felt misunderstood. They felt misaligned with the world or the people, at least in their immediate environment. And our goal is to to change that. We want to create a sense of belonging where it's a space where people can show up and they can just be themselves. And in doing so, like just being authentic, being vulnerable, it it works wonders in just how you're then able to show up in the rest of your life. I think a lot of people can relate to that where they feel that they're the only person going through their problems, issues that they're having. And if they're able to open up and not put this facade on that people learn and that they can see, okay, I'm going through something. And then you just see that bond and have you seen a bond with your members where outside of the membership, they're like talking to each other, kind of learning even more from each other. And you're just like, wow, this is amazing to see. Or has that yeah. not happened yet? No, it's it's 100% happened. Um, why I set it up as a social learning platform instead of just, I didn't want to create something that it was just another educational platform where it was mm-hmm. just like me speaking into a camera and be like, this is what you need to do. Like, I'm all for the social aspect. I'm a connector. Mm-hmm. I love understanding, taking the time to understand, okay, what is Alex struggling with and how can I support him? And maybe that support looks like connecting you with someone that is also in the sport management field that has more experience in that particular problem that you're dealing with right now. And just because I have them in my network, I'm going to be like, hey, you two should meet. You should grab a cup of coffee, whether it's virtual, in-person, doesn't matter, and problem solve, troubleshoot together. And I'm just happy to play that, that connector role. One of the coolest things, um, I have had a number of clients that because it's all virtual for the most mm-hmm. part. I have a, a in-person community here in LA, but for the most part, it's all scattered throughout the US. I'll get pictures randomly from certain people in the community that they're hanging out with other members of the community or past members and people that have gone through some of the group courses. Like, this is so cool to see. And they're like, thank you for introducing us because we never, the internet is like, we're so connected, but we're so disconnected at the same time. It helps to kind of weed through that and be like, Hey, no, these people actually want to connect with, with you Mm -hmm. show up in this place. I think it's just amazing. Like the whole virtual kind of thing. I mean, people are just worried like, oh, I think even in the job world, especially mine, where we were used to being in the office, talking with each other, then we go and work and now you're at home and you're not having that physical conversation, but how big of an impact, even virtual getting on the phone, talking to someone, getting on a video chat, like you can still have that. We're just change of times, but it's amazing to see what you've been doing and following your journey through our connection on LinkedIn. It's just been amazing because I'm not an athlete. Well, not a, like been an athlete, but I'd argue you are. (laughs) I'm like the, um, what is it? Oh, was, uh, intramural athlete. Like I do it for the fun. I never did it for the, but learning more and hearing your story and the impact that you have created. It's just amazing to hear. And I think everyone should hear more about it because they might be going through that similar thing, being a former athlete and what's next for them. Do you feel that when we talked earlier, you had that identity of a swimmer Mm -hmm. and that was the only thing. Do you feel that you still have a different identity or that identity of a swimmer has helped you evolve to where you are today? It's definitely helped me evolve. What's really interesting to see 
um, I put up a post earlier today on LinkedIn, actually, about developing a healthy identity. And what does that mean? And through a couple of different social learning theories, not to get too nerdy on here, but the really the fifth stage of identity development that we should all be striving to shoot for is embracing the paradox that we can be multiple things. So understanding that I can be Corey the swimmer, but -hmm. I can also be Corey the podcaster and I can be Corey the cook and I can be like whatever hobbies and passions and curiosities that I can have, I can latch onto that as an identity and not a single one of them defines me. Yeah. Like embracing that paradox. I think where we as a society often get it wrong, we quickly grasp at three to five or one thing to just convey to whoever we're speaking with that that's who we are so that they can then quickly conceptualize and know, okay, I'm sitting across the table from Corey. I know, I know exactly what I'm going to get. He's a swimmer. So his, this is the view of the world from his point of view. And very rarely do we actually take the time to actually pause and even just hop on a conversation like this over zoom and get to know who's sitting in that chair across from me. Yep. Oh, he's more than his job. He's more than his relationship or the workouts that he does or whatever it may be. And I think that's where true human connection actually exists is through taking the time to understand that. So I've embraced that definition of identity personally, and it's been so much less pressure in my life, honestly. So are you Corey the cook? I'm I'm whatever you need me to be. (laughs) (laughs) But that's so true. I think a lot of people put an identity on someone. Um, If it's like a physical or a medical thing, but like, I'll say that everyone knows me because I'm the diabetic. Mm. To me, that identity has helped me grow, but there's more to me. And I think that's what people need to know is, You got to find everything about that person, not only hone in on one thing like, okay, yeah, I am. But do you see everything else I've done? I have titles. I've done passion projects. I have a career path. There's a lot that I can offer than just that one thing. But what made you want to start a podcast? As we're both podcasters, what got you started? So really for me, it was, I was fat with that coaching science minor. Like I was fascinated about the psychology, like the psychological mental side of performance from whenever I was in, when I was introduced to that my like sophomore year of college. And I was like, I keep having these cool conversations with people in my life. Mm-hmm. What if I recorded them? And what if I got more intentional with who I was reaching out to have these kinds of conversations with and wouldn't that be pretty enjoyable? Wouldn't that be something pretty cool? So that was where it started. It was just tapping into, honestly, it was tapping into my swim network and people from my hometown that had like made it out to be in the NFL or in the Olympics and just connecting with them again and be like, Hey, so I started this thing. It's kind of a passion project. It's not a large following, but I would love the chance to sit down and interview you and do so in a way that's non-traditional. Do so in a way that isn't probably like anything that you've experienced before from a, it, like an athlete being interviewed. We're not going to say, all right, so what was going through your head? You know, like when you <laughs> play by play 400 yards. Yeah. It's not a post-game interview. Like it's, it's real talk and getting to know those people beyond the stat sheet. And yeah, it's just evolved over the years, man. It's, it's been a really cool journey it's opened up so many doors to me. Like I find myself in rooms and conversations with people that I grew up and admired looking up to. Like uh, I had Brendan Hansen. I hate name dropping, but I had Brendan Hansen on the, the podcast and he's someone that aside from Phelps and Lochte really played a pivotal role in me getting excited. He, if you're a swimmer out there, you know, like him and, this guy Kitajima from Japan would trade world records kind of at will. And they would go back and forth for a number of years. It was one of the greatest rivalries in recent memory in swimming. And it was so freaking cool to sit down. And it basically was like a coffee conversation. Mm-hmm. It felt like him and I just got a co- cup of coffee together 
we happened to record it. It was super powerful. But those are going to be a moment that you're going to remember for years on out, because I've gone through that same thing where I've interviewed idols, people I've looked up to, and I'm thinking, is this a dream right now? Like, is this really happening? Who, why is this person talking to someone that's a no one, but we're just having a normal conversation. And I love when I get our, they say, you're asking questions I've never been asked before. And that is a memorable moment because I'm not trying to do like a play-by-play. Like I could have said to you, like, what were you doing on that last lap? But, But to me, it's like, what was going through your mind during the whole journey and things, unless it was a big moment, but I love how you said that, where it's not like a full-on one-on-one interview. It's coffee talk. You never know what's going to be talked about in a coffee talk, but you're just recording it. Yeah. My, my intention with it, especially of late, has always been to create this environment where it was just me and whoever I'm sitting down with are having a really interesting conversation and the listener, whoever has this in in their headphones, just happened to be at the same coffee shop and was in for a treat of an overheard conversation. They just Mm -hmm. are like, wow, I lost track of time. It's been an hour. (laughs) I don't want to leave. I want to hear more of whoever it was I was sitting with. So that's always been the focus. Looking back at your journey, is there anything that you feel you would change? Or do you feel that each step and stage that you've went through has gotten to where you are today and you're happy that you went through that because it's made you who you are. Yeah. I mean, I would be lying at the hard times if I didn't think like, I would change this, but ultimately with the, even with the retrospective look and looking back, I, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't, would I, would I do it exactly over again in all categories? No, like, <laughs> like if I'm going to, if I know something now that would make that a little bit easier, I maybe not avoid the struggle or the problem altogether, but it make it a little bit easier. That would have been helpful information to know. So that's, yeah, that would be my answer there. It's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything retrospectively, but if I were to live it again, maybe, maybe a little, you know, tip here or there would have been helpful. <laughs> So what does the future look like you personally and professionally? What are you, what are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years? You kind of mentioned a little bit, um, but what else do you want to hopefully accomplish? So, I mean, I'll go professionally first. I mean, with forever athlete, my goal is to build out micro communities in every single major city in the U S so that it's that twofold. You have that tapped in to that, more digital side of things you connect with people all over the world Mm -hmm. that way but you have go-to people wherever it is that you live so if you ever move or your travel you already know where you're going to work out you already know who you're going to grab coffee with you got your your remote work spots covered like it's an insider's training or travel um, agency in some ways there so that's, that's the goal there. Um, currently have been building out LA. Austin is kind of the next chapter that I'm looking to identify. And I've been really jamming out on writing. I have um, my first book coming out in the next few weeks here, which I'm really excited about. And I have a feeling it will be the first of many. I've caught in the writing bug and I'm excited to just keep creating. I'm sure I can't wait to be one of those podcasts that has reached a thousand episodes and like enjoy every single one there. You personally, I want to keep trying new things. I want to keep traveling to new places, taking on new experiences and not being afraid to try things that I suck at. Like I got invited, a friend of mine created this company called uh, beyond the board, which is like downhill longboarding, super, super, super niche, super cool boards, Land coordination, not necessarily my thing. She invited me <laughs> to that on this coming Friday, two days from now when we're recording this. And I, my first reaction was, that sounds awesome for you. I'm going to stay home. And then I thought more about it. And I go, how do you know? You tried longboarding like eight years ago at this point, dude. Like you fell off of it. Big whoop. <laughs> she, she's probably more experienced to teach you. 
go give it a try. Um, so personally, it's just continuing to keep that curiosity, actually living into these things and trying these new experiments. I want to, in a lot of ways, do my own kind of Tim Ferriss style of like diving into a new sport or a new hobby and seeing, and not seeing if I can master it, but at least develop some sort of skill in there mm-hmm. in a short amount of time and just kind of share that journey with people. Like I did um, beach hand, or, yeah, beach handball a few weeks okay. ago. And I was like, this is such an interesting sport. It was like soccer meets volleyball meets, I don't even know, um, like football. Like you're throwing the ball with all these different arm angles and points, but it was fun. It's a lot of fun. So I want to just keep learning personally. Do you watch handball in the Olympics? I'm going to now. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, I, I think it was Athens 2004. And I okay. saw that for the first time, got hooked. Cause I'm like, we don't get this in the United States. I mean, we have, yeah. I think there is a team, but I have never seen them make it to the Olympics. It's more like very popular in Europe and other yeah. countries. Yeah. We have a, a solid national team presence um out here and that's kind of in the sport world i think it's the running joke is like if you're somewhat skilled if you do you know serious training in handball in like a few months you could be on the national team and i'm like sign me up that sounds pretty awesome i don't the application (laughs) (laughs) it's so true like i mean i can even say curling was before i saw it i'm like this is the most simplest thing in the world, but I don't know why, but it's so entertaining to watch. And I think it's just so cool. Like I, there's all those different sports a lot in the Olympics that, I'm yeah. like, oh, I want to try that. I even thought about doing diving, like go to the 10 meter platform and, and I'm <laughs> like, okay, I actually have done it once, but I didn't t- flip or anything. I just kind of yeah. pencil dive in. But it's just like, terrifying, right? it, it just shows that like, lo- there's so much out there and this is the time to do it. If you have a dream, you have something that you're interested in, go do it because you don't want to look back and say, I wish I did that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, there's the diving is another thing, man. The, <laughs> the fear of heights is so real. Much fun. <laughs> All that stuff. It looks awesome. It looks totally awesome. I, another thing that I'm like, I just don't know. I don't know, but maybe I'll give it a go. Cliff jumping has been so fun. Uh, it's been something that I, I love. It's hilarious. I have um, I'm a GoPro 360, uh, like the Max. So it takes the 360 footage. And I was blessed earlier this year to be able to travel to Brazil and um, went cliff jumping with a buddy. And I took a video I was like, man, I can't wait to look at this. Like, this is going to be sick. And we broke it down. And I looked at my facial expressions as I was going through the dive. And in my head, I was like, I played that so cool. I was terrified, but I played that so cool. And you look back and the last shot before my feet hit the water, I just have this huge, it looks like I have like throw up in my mouth. Like cheeks are super puffed and my eyes are terrified. They're bug eyed. Like, what are you doing? It's like, oh. I guess I didn't have as much fun as I thought it was. Like that was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> You're ju- we're just going to look back at this five years from now. And we're both at like some like big national competition for some sport and be like, you remember when we just talked about this? Yeah. <laughs> we're going to throw that up on the jumbotron. There, yeah. <laughs> the final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them? to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge. Mm. I think the biggest thing that I wish I knew earlier was to differentiate between like ego driven and task driven goals. Like, is this actually for you or is it for your ego Mm -hmm. and being able to differentiate between those two And if you need help doing so, like reaching out to people, having those kind of conversations of like, what, why do I want to accomplish this? Why do I want to push through this challenge? Is it to win a medal and like go down and uh, this hall of fame sort of thing? Or is it because I actually want to 
push through this challenge and getting those values in alignment with your actions, I think goes a long way. So just taking a second to pause, look at why, what's the driving factor? Is it your ego or is it actually something that is going to benefit not just you, but the people around you too? Well, Corey, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Alex, man, thank you for the space. This was a a really fun conversation. I love the questioning. So thank you. I appreciate it. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.